podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome back to the FA Index Talking Tactics Podcast. I'm your host, Leroy Ma, and today we'll be breaking down Liverpool's 2-1 win over Leicester. It was a pretty disappointing performance, if, if I could say so myself, but again, I think a lot of people are very happy with the three points. Joining me today is Josh, returning on the Talking Tactics Podcast. Josh, it's been a long time since we last spoken, the long time since we last broke down games, but great to have you back as well, and great to have you back returning as one of the, the regular rotation of guests. So Josh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to getting into it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a great way to start is definitely the, the immediate controversy with the, the first 11. So pretty much an unchanged side from Liverpool, except that Jurgen Klopp went with Jordan Henderson over Nabi Keita. And considering how good Genie was last week against Brighton, probably we, we might possibly see Genie as at number six and then maybe Henderson might play more like the a supporting role in, in, in the in the midfield spot. But I think when the game started it seemed to be the other way around and things were looking a bit bleak. It seemed a bit uh, repetitive of what happened last season where we saw Genie fading out a little bit due to the redundancy in his role and we see Henderson being Henderson. But any thoughts on the first eleven for Liverpool at, at the first glance? Um, initially, I didn't really have too much of a problem with it, to be honest, because um, I've been doing a weekly a weekly thread on Twitter um, in the build-up to the game, just a rough outline on the opponent kind of thing. And um, the, the key question that I've included in every thread so far, and this is dating back to the Champions League final against Real Madrid, I think because of our style of play and because of the way we more often than not win games, I think the key question, as always, is the opposing team vulnerable in transition. If the team is, then Liverpool should get more than enough chances to counter-attack and break at speed and get a few clear-cut chances and ultimately win the match like we usually do. And Leicester, I think so far, if you look at the four teams that we've faced, Leicester's so far are the most expansive team. They're the first team that I've been able to write that they are vulnerable in transition. Um, the previous three haven't been as much. And that's because Leicester play, or they have this season, at least on the club pool, have played a possession game where they keep the ball um, easy on the eye kind of stuff. And because of that, I could maybe see it a, a, a better logic in Henderson being included simply because I think Henderson's probably his biggest strength would be his ball winning ability. Yep. Um, not that Naby Keita is bad at it, but the fact Henderson can win the ball, um, and he's very good at forcing turnovers, I thought that might have been the logic behind it. Um, so with that in mind, I was open to see how it played out, but you know, obviously it didn't work too well at all. I think defensively, even for my, for myself, I I thought that having Jordan Henderson being not to say more mobile than Keita, but maybe perhaps yeah. more defensively mobile, right? You know, just able to, to step out a little bit and, as you said, win those balls high up the pitch. You know, I, I think Gags mentioned that Jordan Henderson is really, really good in 
tackling the ball high up the pitch and actually winning most of the time, you know, actually winning a lot of balls up top and then, and then from there we go on the counter press and, and go on the counter attack. But against this team, you know, I, I think the main concern for a lot of people was more on when we had the ball, you know, how was things going to develop. We saw what Zini was last year when, when he was played in that in that weird supporting role as, as sort of like the number 8 but not really a box-to-box not really a number 6 and not really a number 10 as well, just not in, in a very grey area in terms of his positioning and role. And and then we saw Henderson and we know that you know, at times when he gets pressed or when he's not so proactive in opening up his body to see what's in front of him, I think that's where the concern was in terms of that midfield. But you know we'll get into the actual performance in a little bit, but in terms of Leicester, I think the biggest absentee for them was definitely Jamie Wadi. And compared to last season, you know they didn't have Riyad Mahrez as well, so two big players for them already going missing but I think with new players coming you know I guess someone like James Madison with how he has been performing so far definitely going to be a threat for us for sure and any thoughts about Leicester's team and perhaps any uh, uh, any pain points for them or any uh, threats that you see coming out from the I-11 well I think one of the match stars that was quite clear that they, they were targeting the area around um, Joe Gomez and Trent Arnold um, which is understandable considering that two considerably more inexperienced defenders if you compare that to our left side in which we've got Van Dijk and Robertson so mm-hmm. <clears throat> they, se- they seem to be targeting that area early on um, and obviously he played the Mardi Gras as a striker with the understanding that we play a high line um, so they were trying to get him behind there that didn't work too well to be honest I think the Mardi Gras ended up getting hooked um, <clears throat> James Madison's a good player I like James Madison um, and you know, that could have possibly been the reason why Henderson was included, as you say, because he's very much, you know, a, a tight kind of player. He will heckle you if you're on the ball, and James Madison will pick up the ball more often than not between the lines, which is where Henderson should be. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to break that up. But I didn't really see too much of a problem with, with Leicester in terms of things to worry about. I think if Vardy played, might have been a bit of a problem. I think if Vardy played, we might have even do the match, to be honest. They might not have got the three points if Vardy was playing. But we were lucky enough to, to get away with that one. And um, as a result, we had to deal with Damari Gray, who, as I said, wasn't that great on the day. Mm. And James Madison, who was capable, but I think we, we kept relatively quiet. Yeah, and I think, you know, they replaced Vardy's speed with what Damari Gray brings to the table. But I think in terms of that poaching ability, and, and I think it's a bit cliche about the attacking instinct or the striker's instinct, I I think that's what they were missing a little bit. You know, they did get into a few pretty iffy positions or, or spots in our in, in our third, but I think yeah, you know, I, I think overall the the Mar- the Maragrade is not really being uh now an out striker and I think overall we did contain them a little bit better than, than most people would make out to be. I think that helped us a little bit. But overall I I think I think the main points were gonna be you know James Madison and you could say Wilfred and Didi you know how well he would do in terms of nullifying us and I think before the lineups came out I think the big question mark was how Didi was gonna deal with Nabi Keita right you know considering that they're polar opposites in terms of you know Keita being that offensive player and 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 Didi being more of that defensive player for them how that matchup was going to be whether Didi was going to to man mark Keita that was gonna be a possibility for sure but. No, not having Keita to to begin with, I think that solved a lot of the queries there. But you know, getting into the game a little bit, any initial thoughts about the game? Because I think while we were, uh, I I think it was pretty fifty fifty a bit back and forth to begin with. But I think 
we, we even early on we could see the early signs of, of this Henderson Wijnaldum pairing not really working even in the first what 10 minutes or so we could see that there was a bit of that disconnect we see Genie Wijnaldum not being as effective as he was in the first three games any initial thoughts for you? Um, not initially I think in the first maybe 20 minutes we uh, we did okay I think um, we got the goal we got the opening goal um, we weren't as good as usual um, but we haven't been we haven't been for the for the four games really, to be honest. But I didn't see too many worrying problems. But then, as the half progressed, we seemed to really start to get dominated. We 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 couldn't control the game at all. I tweeted that it reminded me of the um the opening spell against Roma at Anfield in the Champions League semi final, in which we just couldn't seem to get out of our own half, and every ball that we tried to use to counter attack just came straight back. And um, this was very similar to that as the half progressed um, from, say, about 20, 25 minutes onwards up until half-time. Every attack just seemed to keep coming against this. We couldn't seem to get out. And, um, you know, there's various theories on why that's the case. But um, I know what, I'm, what mine is, and I'm writing mine at the minute. Started writing it last night for Anfield Index. It's half-written. Um, and it's just basically to do with the fact that I don't think Henderson and Wijnaldum should play together. The reason yeah. I don't think they should play together is because if they do, Henderson will always assume the role of the six. And if Henderson assumes the role of the six, that means Wijnaldum is moving forward as an eight. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Wijnaldum um, suits that role. The reason I don't think he suits that role is because I think those two players in midfield, either side of the six, need to be high-volume passes for me. They need to be players that actively show for the ball, players that want the ball, um, and players that will actively take part and build up play. And I don't think Wijnaldum ever has really been one of those. I think he's he's prone to being a bit of a spectator, maybe, if he's in one of those positions. Whereas if you play Wijnaldum as the six, then he's naturally then in a position that he will receive the ball in without even showing most of the time. And without actively seeking the ball out, he'll just naturally receive it because he's in, you know, a central position that's triangular to most other positions, if you know what I'm saying. So yep. I think once we disrupted that, I once it started to hit home that like we just couldn't couldn't control a match at all. You know, I started to realise that that was ultimately the problem because if you've got a player in a midfield three on the side who's not just actively going to seek possession and actively going to want the ball, then this is kind of an extreme example. But if you imagine playing a 4-3-3, but your right side and centre midfielder gets sent off, but you still try and keep the same shape and play the same game, you're obviously going to encounter structural issues because a player is absent in the, in, in the, in the shape. So... Although that's an extreme example, and although Wijnaldum didn't get sent off, he was obviously still there. If he shies away from possession, or if he doesn't show himself to the ball, or if he doesn't have a high pass um, passing volume in the, in the match, it's almost like playing without a player there. Yep. And Henderson and Milner will see more of the ball. And, you know, the right-sided midfielder, which was Wijnaldum on the day, it's almost like we haven't got a man playing there, and... You know, it just results in a lot of imbalance in the midfield. And as a result, it's going to be very difficult to console a game when you've got such an imbalanced midfield in terms of passing. So, 
that was what I think the problem to do with him. As I said, I've started writing about it as well. Yeah, and I also I think when you look at Wijnaldum in terms of his skill set, and and even in his history, you know, especially at his, uh, during his PSV days, he never really played as that playmaker, and he's never oh, he's never really been a playmaking sort of midfielder, right? So in PSV, I believe whenever he played in that double pivot, he was usually that number six, while Strutman was more of that uh, you could say that playmaking box to box style of midfielder, and I think. I believe, you know, if my memory doesn't fail me now, I think he also partnered with Van Bommel as well. And, I, and you know, we, we see Van Bommel more of that passer and we see Wijnaldum playing a little bit more of that box-to-box. But of course, he was also supported by, by Strutman at times. And sometimes he plays more like that number 10 role that we saw him play for us in that first, you know, in his first season at Liverpool. So I think that's that that bit of a, a dilemma there with, with Wijnaldum. And, you, you know, you mentioned that sometimes Wijnaldum doesn't come back to, to show himself to the ball. And I think... Even when he does, it's more like him dropping back to, to being probably on the same level as Henderson, calling for the ball and him not really having any angles or any, any space to try and dribble up. But, you know, his only real option is to pass back to Henderson or pass to one of the fullbacks or pass back to the centre-back. So he's sort of you know, caught between a, a rock and a hard place in, in that aspect. So, yeah, I, I also really love that, that point you made about that structural uh, imbalance whenever we play Henderson and Wijnaldum there. I think their redundancy in, uh, and you can say the duplication in their roles sort of forces that to happen. You know, we see Wijnaldum dropping back so that left midfield area is sort of empty. And in that sense, you know, only Milner is really operating as that supporting or, or should I say the more attacking-minded midfielder there. And I think... You know, we, we, that sort of forces someone like Mane to come back or Firmino to come back from high up the pitch to get the ball. And I think when they drop back to get the ball as well, then there's a bit of that, uh, they're, they're a bit further than what, where they need, need to be in terms of attack, uh, initiating attacks. So yeah, you know, brilliant points for, from you for sure. I think when your piece comes out, I think a lot of people would, would do well to read it for sure. But let's just talk about the goals a little bit, you know, because despite us playing pretty badly and you know having some individual performances not being on par or or, or being up, up up to par you could say i think that that 10th minute goal from Sadio Mane definitely elevated a lot of pressure from our team so great run from Robertson on the left side you know just basically bulldoze past two or three Leicester players i believe found Mane and, and Mane just finished it really well so i think in terms of that individual skill i i think Mane has been pretty good for us so far i think Last season, he would have, you know, this sort of slump in performances, but he still came up with the good sometimes, you know, whenever he get the ball, gets the ball in pretty good areas, he's still able to finish despite having a bad 90-minute performance. But I think this time around, he's, even though he's, he can be a little bit quiet at times, but, you know, I think overall his contribution is still there for us. I, you know, and any points on that first goal, and I think maybe the, the biggest contribution there is Robertson's run for sure. Yeah, I think Robertson's run's key to it because um, I mean there's not a lot of tactical things you can look at it but in terms of Robertson's run because he manages to, to escape two or three players as you say the players that are then covering centrally for Leicester get drawn towards the ball then and they they shift towards Robertson and vacate position centrally Robertson then plays the ball centrally and when Mane receives the ball you've got Wijnaldum in the box and Firmino also in the box so if Mane doesn't receive the ball, um, one of the other two would have. So it would have been a chance even if Mane went in there, went in that position because as I said, there was other players there ready to receive the ball. So 
Mm-hmm. It was largely because of Robertson. The goals occurred largely because of Robertson. The attention that he's attracted. Leicester obviously um, adjusted the shape to deal with Robertson. And Mane's took advantage of the opening as well. So, um, yeah, just a, a nice goal and very important lead to take. Yeah, I think the main tactical point here would just be Robertson just doing well to dribble past players and because he beat his man, someone else has to come over to compensate for it and, and to and to cover the space. That leave that left the middle the middle of the pitch a little bit open and that allowed money to capitalize on, on, on the pass by Robertson. But I think again, you know, even after that goal there was still pretty uh, I think Liverpool's performance was still pretty iffy and Again, we were again lucky to get a, another goal before the halftime came. And I think from a corner, again, seldom we score goals from corners. But Milner's delivery was pretty good this time around. Firmino, you know, sort of snaked his way into some, some bit of space. And, you know, basically a free header for him. And I think Firmino's contribution, again, being a bit uh, on, on, on the spotlight there. I think a lot of people mentioned it, that... He was pretty much dribbling to players, losing the ball a lot. But when a player like him has to drop back from from high up the pitch to get the ball, and not having someone like Nabi Keita to 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 carry the ball forward as well, I think putting the onus on Firmino to carry the ball forward, he's bound to attract a lot of attention. And you know, have, being doubled or, or triple teamed, not having a lot of passing options for sure. But to get that goal before halftime also very important point, uh, very very important uh, moment for us for sure. To go tuning up at halftime and not playing well, I think that's a, a pretty good testament to how uh how how great our individual players are. You know, again, when the team is not playing well, you need these individual players to step up to to have those magical moments to try and get the team a goal and and, and you know carry us past the, the the finish line. So, what do you think of of Firmino's goal and I guess as an extension his performance overall? Yeah, I think um. His goal was was really important. I think it was scored in the forty fourth minute. Um, so and very much against the one of play as well. I think as I said earlier, we couldn't escape our own half. Leicester were dominating the ball. They weren't necessarily having clear good chances, but they were just when 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 a team's able to sustain wave after wave of attack without the ball going out of play, without the opposing team really getting a break. Eventually, there's a breakthrough. Usually, more often than not, that's how you basically. Structure attack and play. You just bring wave after wave after wave, and that's what was happening. Um, so we we managed to get up the field anyway. We got a corner, and um, thankfully and surprisingly enough, Roberto Firmino was the one in the box that gets his head on it. Um, it's very poor marking, I must say, by uh, James Madison. I think he just loses his man. He ends up about um, two or three yards away, I think, from Firmino when he ends up heading the ball. Um, I think it's also crucial that Firmino heads the ball into the ground. Because he's quite, he's not necessarily far out, but he's far enough out for the goalkeeper to have a comfortable save if it's at a nice height. Mm-hmm. So the fact for me, no heads it into the floor, um, is crucial. Very good finish. And um, you know, I just I'll never I'll never really have a problem with Firmino. I think we we struggled on the day because, in my opinion, just because of structural issues in the midfield, as of what I've just said, and um, as a result of that. The team naturally suffers, but regardless of that, Firmino still worked his socks off. He was still countless, countless moments where you could tell he was putting his body on the line. You could tell he was trying to disrupt their play on his own, almost single-handedly. Um, and he's just a, a joy to be in the team, to be honest. There's, there's very few players I'd, I'd select in the eleven over, over Firmino. Um, and it's just unfortunate that 
other other problems in the in the eleven resulted in the, the team not performing so well. But I mean, I, I'm not one of them yet who's on Firmino's back maybe for, for not scoring enough or anything like that. For me, Firmino was always contributing to the team in various ways, in more ways than any other player, to be honest. He contributes to every phase, mm-hmm. contributes to all kinds of attacking moves to his movements. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of Firmino. I think overall, um, the, the, the front three is the least of our worries. Right? I think right now, there are bigger problems in the side if there are any to begin with, but you know, despite going 2-0 up uh, in the first half, when the second half came around, especially for the first 10-15 minutes, everyone could see that Leicester definitely had the momentum. They were definitely the better team. We could hardly get a string of passes going, let alone get, you know, really high-quality chances for our players. But their goal eventually came, and I think that's the next topic we can definitely talk about. So there were a few bad passes or bad decisions by several players in midfield trying to get the trying to dribble and, and pass the ball out but we just never put ourselves in a comfortable position. What happened in the end is that Van Dyke made a back pass, was a little bit off or, or a bit too heavy or of a pass for Allison and he went to the right a little bit. Allison went out to get the ball. What happened? Allison failed with a bit of a cry turn, got tackled, the ball went to the middle and uh, Rich, uh Richard Gazzard just tapped it into goal. So I think the big talking point here is definitely going to be Allison. But we could talk a little bit about the midfield part and, and Henderson's role in, in, in that goal a little bit later. But in terms of Allison, do you really fault him for actually trying to, to play that Cruyff turn? Or do you think maybe he should just be one of those traditional keepers and just kick it out even if it's for a corner or try to deflect it off for a goal kick? Do you think he was actually right to to play a bit more of a sweeper keeper this time around? Yeah, no, not for me. I'm a huge fan of Allison. I think he's great. Still think he's great, but in the early games, he's almost shown a little bit too much of what he can do. I don't, I don't know if he's doing it to get us to almost show what he's about and to justify his price tag, maybe. But for me, he's um, doing a little bit too much of the unnecessary. And I think in this moment, there's absolutely no need and no benefit whatsoever to doing a crossing. It's just no. I mean, it's different. If you look at the clip as well, he, even if the cruise turn came off, and even if it was Lalana-esque, he's still in a terrible position. And even if the cruise turn come off, he's almost in a worse position. I don't see what, why he'd even why it'd even cross his mind that it's a good idea to 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 do it. Um, it'd be maybe maybe a bit different if any Nacho was um really selling himself, and if he was about to slide tackle. And then if Allison pulls it off, then he makes it. He makes the the Leicester striker look a bit foolish. Then, but that's not the case. Mm-hmm. I've absolutely no idea what was going through his mind when he's um, trying to do that routine. I don't think he. I don't think he actually realised that you know, Nacho wasn't wasn't coming at such pace. He was he was he was closing him down. Yeah, but he was um, as I said, he was measuring what he was doing. So I, I don't know. I really don't know what he was thinking. I think the build up to the to the mistake is also a problem. I think Klopp got a spot on after the match when he said um, we need to use Allison as an option, not as a solution. And I think that that's, epitomises it perfectly because just because he's a very good keeper with his feet doesn't mean that we should put him under unnecessary pressure. And Van Dijk's ball back to him, you know, wasn't good at all. It was far too wide. I think Henderson's pass to Van Dijk was also problematic. So 
yep. in those instances it's more than it's more than um, acceptable to just put your foot through it. And I think that's one thing that's you know on another point that that's one thing that's frustrated me a little in the opening matches. I think because we've now got such comfortable players on the ball, like Van Dijk at the back, Allison at the back, Cater in, in deeper midfield, Wijnaldum in deeper midfield, we seem a little bit reluctant to um, to go long and go direct and, and just bypass the midfield. And that that is what brought about a lot of our success last season. There's nothing wrong with doing that when you're a pressing team and when you're a transition team. But we seem to be playing more on the floor than we than we need to, and more on the floor than we ever have done on the clock. Um, and as I said, it's just it's not always needed with with the way we play. The way we play, we we do very well to get in behind teams and get the ball right onto their back four. And then even if their back four wins the first header, we then very good at winning the second ball. Um, we done that very good against Roma, which is what I said earlier when we struggled to regain control in the early stages at Anfield. The way we regained control eventually was by just bypassing the midfield completely, just long, long ball after long ball almost. And um, we seem reluctant to do that. And this moment with Allison just minimised that, but just unnecessary overplaying. Yeah, and and it's quite weird because when I looked at Ahinacho's uh, position or should I say the direction of his run, it wasn't really to to intercept the ball from Allison, but rather to just stay close to Allison and and just try his luck and and his wrist paid off. But even yeah, as you mentioned, even if Allison did pull off that Croyston, he would be sort of running into Ahinacho as well, and it would put him in an equally dangerous position. So I guess in hindsight, and especially with the multiple camera angles we've got. You know, the best option there was to either dribble it right in front of him as well, just push the ball a little bit further to that corner flag, or to just kick it out first time, right? But again, I think those have their own sets of uh, uh, risks and, and dangers there as well. But at least it gives you a bit more time and it gets you away from the goal rather than, than getting the ball closer to goal and easier for Leicester to pounce on it if they do pounce on it, which they did. So I think in terms of Allison, I'm not too worried in terms of whether he'll do it again because I'm pretty sure he will. But I, I, I hope Klopp and, and, the, and his team would actually maybe educate or, or should I say make him realise that there is a certain time and place for these sort of tricks and, and, and these sort of uh, skills but perhaps you know better decision making is needed because in terms of shot stopping I think Alison has been fine sweeping I think Alison has been fine passing wise he has been fine you know so I think for fans I don't think we should be too worried from this one incident. I know that he had, you know, similar incidents in the past with Roma as well, but it's just the type of keeper that he is, you know, I think it comes, it's an inherent risk that comes with having a sweeper keeper, you know, if you look at Neuer and, and a couple of others as well, they do have this sort of iffy moment, so, you know, Allison is not just the isolated incident here, so, you know, fair play to him, I guess, but hope, hopefully yeah, moving forward, we don't see this too much, or at least he, he picks his battles a little bit better. Yeah, another thing as well is um, I think if it, I think this this thing was always going to happen. This was going to happen eventually. Yep. He was going to make some kind of mistake on the ball. For sure. And I think if I think if that's going to happen, it's happened at the best possible time. And the reason it's the best possible time is because we've still won the match. Yep. And we now have an international break straight after it. And we haven't lost a game yet. We've won maximum points for top of the league, and it'll quickly get forgotten about. So. That's the positive about it. The fact that he will now hopefully learn from this mistake. He won't try a thing as risky or as unnecessary as this again. And we've moved along unscathed, if you like. So that's the positive you can take from, I suppose. 
and I, I said in one of the preview pods as well as in uh for the season as well is that sooner or later he would he was gonna make a a, a mistake whether it's a shot stopping mistake a passing mistake or or a mistake on the ball as you mentioned the one some sort of mistake is gonna come up and the headline is gonna be that you know Liverpool paid seventy million to get the carriers two point goal something along those lines right and I think it's yeah. better to just get that that thing out of the way early on and as you said in a game where we actually won. Just get that pressure out of the way so that you know that narrative is 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 gone out of our minds and we can just focus on moving forward with Allison and I think you know great timing in terms of doing it you know definitely I don't want him to have any mistakes for sure but if he were to ever have a mistake I think this would be a good time for sure and I think you know you mentioned there was the international break the fact that we won the game and we're still unbeaten so far in the Premier League those all help to reduce the, the pressure on Alisson but I think the biggest pressure is again Jordan Henderson's performance I think Liverpool fans are not too bothered with Alisson but more bothered with Henderson and I think let's go back to Henderson a little bit because you know we already know the problems he had for the last for, for this game against uh against Leicester and from last season as well we all know the problems we all know the flaws about Henderson but what I'd like to talk about a little bit is moving forward you know how do we actually use Henderson because with Fabinho coming into the side, with how well Gini has played at the 6, is there really still room for Henderson to play as the number 6? And, you know, when Fabinho does come back, is it going to be him and Gini at the 6? And if that's the case, where does Henderson go? Does he fight for a spot with Milner? Does he fight for a spot at right back, as some have, you know, hoped for even in, in previous seasons? What do you think should be the future of Jordan Henderson in, in, in the future for Liverpool because it's quite a, a tricky question. You know, he's a cap, club captain and obviously Klopp likes him. So it's quite hard to see him being a, a permanent squad player. But even if he does be a squad player and he does come on as a sub, what sort of role does he come on for? You know, maybe he comes on as a as, as a number six for the last 15 minutes or so. But if let's say Fabinho is playing well and, and Fabinho can last for 90 minutes, does Henderson go to a number eight? Does he go to a number ten? What do you think? Um, I think Henderson, unfortunately, is becoming a bit of a problem. Um, <laughs> and the, the reason he's becoming a problem mm-hmm. is because, and sometimes as well, you'd say that like it's a good problem for the manager to have. In this case, mm, maybe not so much because Henderson's your club captain. So, naturally, he almost assumes more of... He almost has more of a claim to start matches than other midfielders, simply because of that title. Um, and he's also the the team's six, supposedly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been clock six for about two seasons now, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, more or less. So, he, na- he, he naturally lays claim to that position. I think the problem that you've got now is that we have two midfielders who are both more capable and more suited to that sixth position. They are Wijnaldum and they are Fabinho. Yep. Um, so if both Wijnaldum and Fabinho are fit, Henderson... I think as time goes to 11, I think would have Fabinho as the six. So Henderson would then be on the bench. But if... Fabinho maybe is on the bench. I think Klopp would put Henderson as the six, yep. and possibly Wijnaldum as the eight, and have 
already said my issues with that. I'll just I'll take you through some numbers. Um you know, in reference to the the passing volume that I mentioned earlier. Sure. In the four in the four win over West Ham, Milner completed hundred and two pass. Cater completed sixty eight. Wynaldon completed sixty eight. So that's all okay. Yep. Good amount of passes between the three of them. Against Palace, um Milner completed forty nine, Cater completed sixty four, Wynaldon fifty seven. So again, that's good. A good mm-hmm. balance between the three of them. Mm-hmm. Numbers roughly in the same neighbourhood. Uh, against Brighton, Milner completed 94, K to 63, Wine Album 76. S- same again, roughly in the same neighbourhood, good balance, all sharing the passing, yep. that kind of stuff. Yep. But then against Leicester, uh, Milner completed 63. Henderson completed 48, but he got subbed on the 70th minute. So if Henderson completed the match, he probably would have finished on 63 with Milner, let's say. Mm-hmm. Wijnaldum completed 30. Yeah. So he's over 30 passes behind his two um, midfield teammates. Mm-hmm. So that is that is imbalanced. That's yep. not, you know, you're not, you're not. That's not a share of passing. That's not a consistent threat. Either side of the number six, and I think um, from there you can even see the the lack of involvement by Wijnaldum, right? Not only compared to Milner yeah. and Henderson in this game, but his involvement compared to the previous games as well. I think that's exactly, a big yeah. drop off. Exactly, and that's that's why I said earlier, I used the extreme example of it's like playing a four-three-three with one of your midfielders mm-hmm. having been sent off, mm-hmm. because it's obviously not as bad as that, but it's like having a player that isn't there a lot of the time. Um, and if you try and cons- if you try and control a match with that being a structural issue, you're gonna have you're gonna have trouble, especially especially against a team that's willing to press. And I think that's another problem with Henderson. He's very he, he gets very flustered if he's pressed. Doesn't deal well when he's um, under pressure, or he's required to make a quick decision, or he's required to get out of a uh, you know, a tight, a tight situation or something like that. Whereas Wijnaldum is, Wijnaldum's very press resistant. Yep. Very, very calm at all times. So, I think Henderson has to be used behind um, Fabinho as their starting six. Because mm-hmm. I, I, there's no, there's no point in me saying Wijnaldum should start over Henderson as the six because I don't think Klopp will do it. Mm-hmm. But in games where, say for example, we're getting pressed, Henderson cannot assume that six ball. He just he can't really play. As far as I'm concerned, he he has to be third choice six, third choice for the number six. If we're, if we're against a team that's willing to press, and that will force decisions, then um, you know Henderson becomes a different player. Yep. I think against against Palace, I think he came on, and against Brighton, I think he came on late in the game. And he, he, he brought a, a degree of composure, to be honest. He brought a degree of, you know, not necessarily quality, but he, he put his foot on the ball and he slowed the game down and that kind of thing. Yeah. But he wasn't, he wasn't being pressed. He wasn't under pressure. He, um, was, was working in space. But as I said, in, in situ, situations where that's not the case, he really struggles. So 
it's difficult, and this is why I'm saying it's a, he's a problem because you've you've almost got to find somewhere for him, and you've got to find a role for him, and he's he's such a character and such a personality that you want him to be involved. Mm-hmm. But his position at the six is is tricky now because you, as I said, you've got two more That's suited players mm-hmm. playing there, so it's it's it really is tricky. Yeah, and I'm sort of curious as as to whether Klopp would actually play Genie as a six and maybe use Fabinho as sort of like that Emery chance of position. You know, I I think Fabinho is really good in terms of dribbling the ball up and also finding those uh, precise passes as well. So I think maybe Fabinho could play a bit higher up the pitch or. And I know Keita is definitely gonna gonna continue to start whenever he's fit, but I I would like to see if that works. You know, at least give it a try because I at, at least from last season we know that Henderson at the six and Genie at the eight that that seldom works if at all. I I think the other problem is that if we do see Fabinho play at the six and we have Genie at that number eight, will his numbers be affected as well? I think that is something to consider as well. I think you know maybe if Fabinho is even if Fabinho does a better job than Henderson, which I think for the most part he will, how would Genie's involvement in the game be affected? You know, what role will, will Genie sort of play? Because now when we look at Milner, Milner is sort of playing like that auxiliary right winger whenever Salah cuts in and sometimes when Alexander cuts in infield and be a bit more of that midfielder sort of a right back, false fullback kind of player. I I like to see this kind of uh uh things happen and, and, and see how things pan out, you know. Does does Genie play at the six or just or, or does Fabinho play at the six? I think that'll be very interesting to see. And you know, in terms of Henderson, it's just a huge question mark. I really I I'm just struggling to find a, a perfect solution where, you know, Klopp is happy, Henderson is happy and the team doesn't have to compensate or or, or uh you know, lose its effectiveness because of Henderson. It's just really tough and I think the reason why Henderson was even put as a number six in the first place was that he has lost a little bit of those legs in, uh, in, 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 that's needed to play in that number eight role. You know, after all his injuries in, in, in the past few years, I think it's, it's still a big question mark as to whether he can still continue to play in that box to box role. But I do agree with, you know, if he, if he does continue to play as a number six, he needs to be behind Fabinho because as far as we know and as far as we know from, and as far as we've seen from the Monaco days, Fabinho is definitely the better player, and I think that is that goes without question. So you know, let's see how yeah, things think, go, especially with the next two weeks of international break. I think as you as you say, there's there's two um, I think there's two unanswered um solutions maybe that I'd like to see. I'd be in, I'd be interested to see how they work, and that would be would Wijnaldum be equally as um. The Dundons as an eight, mm-hmm. if Fabinho was in the six, yep, o- over Henderson, mm-hmm. that I'd I'd be interested to see how that worked. And the other being, would Henderson contribute as an eight as opposed to a six? The reason I don't think he would is because he has no goal for it whatsoever, mm. and his off the ball movement isn't very good at all. Yep. The reason I think he would, um effective is because he is a high volume passer. Henderson does show for the ball. He um, gets a, a good amount of touches and makes a good amount of passes in virtually every game. So I think in terms of balance what I was talking about earlier in terms of sharing the passing, having a high volume passer either side of the number six. Henderson you know, he'd he'd fill that. But it's just the other the other things that come with being an eight that you know the 
the goal scoring threat, the the creativity maybe, um, the off the ball movement, they're the things he hasn't got. So uh, it really is tricky. It's, it's, I mean, I don't know if it's a good problem to have this time around because mm-hmm. it's if it's not if it doesn't work well, it results in structural issues and a major lack of control, like we saw the other day. I think Henderson for me would be best used when we have to rotate throughout the Christmas period. He can play the six against teams that won't press us. Yep. And if he does play that six, why an album can't play as the eight? Yep. That would be that would be my um solution to it if you like. Yeah, and I think that solution is more like based on our observation so far, right? Because again, when we look at uh Fabinho's involvement in the team moving forward, if let's say Fabinho can do what Henderson does and and more, right? So it doesn't require Genie to come back to get the ball. It it means that Fabinho is getting the ball from let's say the centre backs or goalkeeper and he's dribbling up the pitch from there or, or he's finding those incisive passes, you know, to, to the front tree from there. Maybe that means that Genie doesn't have to come back to 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 open himself as a passing option anymore, right? It could mean that with Fabinho dribbling up with the ball or with you know the the ball being passed to one of the front three, maybe Genie can advance forward off the ball and, and you know maybe go back into more like his role in in during the first season at Liverpool, right? You know him being like that number ten, but more of a a second striker for the team. Maybe we could see that happening as well. We just don't know. So I think. It's just a, a really interesting thing to see and let's see what Klopp comes up with during these two weeks of international break, you know, especially if Fabinho is fit by that time. I think we might be actually we might actually be able to see that happen right after the international break. So very, very interesting for sure. And I'm really, really curious to see how, how the roles pan out moving forward. And especially since Milner has been pretty good so far, you know, definitely not the best midfielder for us, but he's been really good overall. I, I think no one can really criticise Milner too much. It's pretty hard yeah, to I see him we, getting dropped as well, right? Yeah, I think with Milner, he's really underrated player when you look at him. Because in the in the wins so far, as I, as I mentioned earlier, with the, the passing numbers, you know, 102 against West, West Ham, that, yep. that's a lot. That's a lot of passes. And this is as well as, as you know, I think this is also inclusive of him moving over to the right wing at times, playing those passes with Salah and, and Alexander Arnold. I think yeah, yeah. he's not only just getting the ball in midfield areas and you know where there are more passing options, right? He's also being played in areas where he's hugging the touchline a little bit. So hundred and two passes against West Ham, like that's a crazy number to begin with. Yeah, but against against Brighton he also made ninety four. Yeah. And against against Leicester, that's the tricky game. Mm-hmm. He made 63, which was the most of the trio. Yep. So he's really always involved, very much involved as a player. He contributes a good amount of assists. Um, so he's creative enough, without doubt. Good off the ball. Um, strong in the tackle, although he gives away a few too many fouls for my liking. Um, but regardless of his age and regardless of like maybe how glamorous he is as a player, mm-hmm. he really, do, really does contribute. And, and I think our strongest midfield three would be Fabinho as the six and Keita and Milner as yep. the eight. Yep, that seems to or, be the case. Yeah, or um, album as the six over um, Fabinho maybe, you know, but that depends on the opponents, I suppose. Maybe if we're at home and, you know, it, it involves a bit more like bit more creativity maybe maybe why not start over Fabinho but I'm not sure but I think Milner is 
definitely laid the claim to to being in the strongest eleven so far. Mm. I think Milner's performances have been, you know, that that headache that you like to have, but Henderson's role in the squad is just a headache overall. So <laughs> I th- I think that's for Klopp to decide, yeah. and I think it's just for us to to watch moving forward and and see how things pan out, and you know. It's just a really interesting case of, you know, having a lot of good players, but you have one or two outliers here where you're just not sure how to 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 go about playing them. So I think again, very interesting to see, and I think that's gonna be one of the biggest talking points moving forward. I think the other positions are pretty much set. You know, I think in in centre back for now, we know Joe Gomez and Van Dijk have been pretty good there. They've been they've been pretty solid overall. So. Don't think that there's been any case for Matip or Lauren to come in so far. Uh, apart from rotation options, our front three is gonna be our front three. You know, maybe Shakiri or Starish get thrown gets thrown in there for a couple of games in uh for rotation purposes. But overall, I think midfield is gonna be the biggest headache, and I think that will be the the main talking point for us Liverpool fans moving forward. But you know, I think we've been talking about the game for a really really long time now, and I think it's a good time to cut off there. Any final thoughts before we head off? No, not really, no. Just looking to uh, hopefully the international break will fly over and we get back to talking about Liverpool. <laughs> yep, and let's just hope no injuries to any of players if they are participating in any of the games. But apart from that, Josh, it's great to have you back again. A lot of great insight from you, a lot of uh, you know very excellent observations. And again, thanks for bringing the numbers to the table. I think perhaps you and, and Tubbs... The, the the two main people who actually bring numbers and stats to to this tactics podcast and I think that gives a little bit of uh, a a unique type of uh, discussion for sure. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, and I'd like to say um to, to that piece that I've mentioned earlier that will probably be out in the next couple of days on Anfield Index. So uh, look out for that one. Yep, just check out Anfield Index Twitter account. You can get all the content from there, especially those from Josh and you know the other contributors on the Talking Tactics podcast, like like Hamza, especially and and, and Sri as well, both regular writers on the on the website. So do check their pieces out. Josh, once again, thank you so much for coming on, and to you listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Anfield Index Talking Tactics podcast. I've been your host Lirima, and we'll see you next time. Network.